Well, good morning. And my name's Simon, for any visitors here, uh, I'm one of the leaders here, and uh, it's great to have you uh, with us uh, if you're visiting us. Uh, it's great to have you with us if you're not visiting us. It's great to be together, isn't it? Hey, and uh, it's great to carry on working our way through the book of John, one of these accounts written uh, for us of uh, the key, key moments of Jesus' life and his ministry. And so I've been loving working through the book of John. Has anyone else been loving going through John? And do you know what I've, what I've been finding? is actually this book, as I've been going through it, this book has come alive afresh to me. In fact, Jesus has come alive afresh in, in what I've been reading and what we've been looking at on Sunday mornings um, again. And so uh, we are in uh, chapter 17 of John. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got your phone on your Bible, you can find John chapter 17. Um, but uh, if you haven't, it'll be on the screen anyway. We're not going to read all of John chapter 17, um, but that's going to be where we're going to camp out today. So let's get into our passage for this morning. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now... Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Okay, and then we're going to skip down to verse 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Remember we looked at joy last week, didn't we? The full measure of his joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified." My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us, so that, in the world, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we're one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me 
may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let's just pray briefly. Lord Jesus, uh, we, we come to you this morning knowing that you pour out resurrection life to your people. And as we uh, come together under your word, as we come to hear your words to us for today, we ask, would they go deep into our hearts, into our minds, and would we leave changed because we've encountered you, because you fresh have met us and filled us and sent us out. And so, Lord, we ask, be with us as we look at your word. Amen. Amen. I was reminded as I was preparing of a, um, a story my brother told me. My brother uh, likes adventurous holidays. Who likes adventurous holidays? Yeah. But I, I, love, I love here how there's two people who raise their hands and one in the middle whose hands are firmly left down. But he he doesn't like the usual sitting on a beach holiday, really. He likes adventurous holidays. And he went on a walking trip with three friends to the Picos de Europa. Has anyone been there? It's uh, some mountains in northern Spain. And uh, I've put a picture up there of them. And uh, so they they got their tents and they packed some food and they took their maps. And, uh, you know, this was not the usual holiday. They went out into the mountains... And uh, they, they, were, they were kind of climbing up these mountains, wandering through the mountains, and they saw a little bit further ahead. They were having fun, you know, these lads on tour. And uh, they saw a little area a bit further ahead that was covered in snow. And they thought, hey, let's get up there. We can get up there to those, those parts with the snow. So off they went. They climbed up, found the snow, having snowball fights, loving it. Uh, however, what seemed like a kind of adventurous walking holiday kind of turned a little more serious as they found themselves a bit lost. And, and the clouds were beginning to roll in. You know that, that, the way they do, where you can kind of only just about see your hand in front of you. And so there was poor visibility. There were dangerous paths that you could easily find yourself slipping down and falling a long way. And then it came that they ran out of food and they ran out of water. And a day and a half into being lost, after my brother had almost died falling down a, a, um, a pathway, he kind of thought, do you know what? This might be it. We, we seriously might die up these mountains. You know, what, what goes through your mind when you're kind of faced with that? What, what prayers are going through your head when you're facing death? And you know, the, the end of the story is a good one because with, with about 2% left on his battery, um, his friend um, just found enough signal to be able to call Mountain Rescue and uh, to get them to come out. And so they helicoptered in and uh, picked them up literally, and kind of helicopter them off the mountain. And they lived to tell the tale, praise God. Um, but in this passage, we kind of get an insight into Jesus' heart at this moment when he's facing death. 
He's, he's had this extended time with his close followers. Uh, and shortly he's going to be arrested and he's going to face trial and he's going to go to the cross. And so he's praying. And his friends are there. That's how we know what he's praying because his friends are there with him. So you could kind of say this is like his prayer list. Uh, have you got a prayer list? Do you keep a prayer list? Perhaps when you're kind of thinking about what do I need to pray for? And you might have people's names on it. You might have situations on it. It shows what's important to you. It might be other people's prayers, but actually if it's important to you, then you've got them on your list. And you know, I think there's more things than just what we're going to look at this morning. But I want us to focus on three things that Jesus prays in this prayer. Firstly, that God would glorify the Son. The Father would glorify the Son. So what's he asking? How do you define glory? See, one church leader says trying to define glory is kind of near on impossible because it's more like trying to define beauty, the word beauty, than trying to define something like the word football. So it's harder, isn't it? How would, how would you describe football? What would you say? If I was to say, how would you describe football? Words. <laughs> they're not words. That's just a noise, Val. How would you describe football? Round. round? Okay, yeah, you've got a round thing. That Anything else? Team a team? Yeah, it's a team game, and you get in teams, and you, you kick the ball, and uh, you're trying to get it in this... Um, a thing called a goal and through some posts and you can kind of describe it and people can kind of say, well, yeah, okay, I understand, that's football. But beauty is harder, isn't it? You see, some words we can explain by, because we can kind of say them or we can explain them. But others, you see, we have to point to them. And whilst, and whilst there might be different ideas of beauty and what is beautiful, you know, if enough of us point to it and say, Jonathan is beautiful, and enough of us agree, we'll go, yeah. Needs to be a big <laughs> but you know what I mean, don't you? We'll go, yeah, okay, yeah, that's beauty. That's like glory. See, glory, it's the infinite beauty and greatness of God. And, and glory is not so much explained out in the Bible, but rather it's pointed to. So when Moses in the Old Testament says to God, show me your glory, God says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. And then shortly, that, shortly after that, Moses comes down and meets with the people again. And actually, he says something very similar to what we had read out of Psalm 103. He says, the Lord, the, the, the gracious Lord, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. It points to what his glory is and like. We don't get long explanations of glory here. We get something that points to it. Do you see? And Jesus points us to it 
in this prayer. So he points us to it by referring to his ability, his authority to give eternal life. And you know, when he's talking about eternal life here, think less life after death, although he is including in that in this, but more a new kind of life where we have friendship with God the Father through Jesus the Son. See, we see God's glory, glory when we realise what Jesus has done for us and how he's made a way for us to be friends with God. It points and it says, look, look how beautiful and great that is. That's glory. Do you see it? That we could be restored to God through all Jesus' achievements and not ours. That's glorious, isn't it? It's glorious. So Jesus is praying, as people come into this new relationship with the Father through Jesus the Son, actually God the Father and he are seen to be glorious. See, think about it. Think about life in the 21st century. What do we think of as glorious? What might be seen as glory? Maybe like an all-conquering sports team. Maybe like uh, some kind of multi-award-winning music rock star. Maybe like the achievements of a brilliant scientist. But Jesus is saying God's glory is expressed in his passion and his love to be friends with you and I. To give us real life, resurrection life. Here's the thing. As you and I come into that life and into that relationship, we reflect the glory of God to those around us. Do you sometimes think with people you know, do you know what, sometimes I think I just need to know all the answers that they've got and they, have all these, they, have, they might have all these questions and I just need all the answers to explain to them everything and I feel so uh, unequipped because I haven't got them all. Do you know what, your story of coming to life, coming to life, new life with God, is glorious and it will reflect the glory of God. It speaks of God's glory as you share it with them. Okay, secondly, Jesus prays for our protection. Following Jesus in this world will not always be easy. Have you noticed that? I have. I'm sure you have as well. Following Jesus will also mean you'll often be reminded that you're not of this world. I mean, what do I mean by that? Do I mean like, oh man, we're aliens? Are we kind of out of world, uh, um, kind of alien types? No, no, by this world it says, he's talking about what this world values, what it finds its fulfilment in, and actually ultimately what it makes of Jesus. So the evil in this world is because 
there's an evil one. And Jesus refers to him in this passage, an evil one who influences it. But being a Christian means we now live for a different king of a different kingdom. And it's a kingdom that is advancing and one day will fill the whole world and fill all creation. But right now we live in a world that's influenced by an evil one. And Jesus says, look, I don't want I don't want my followers to kind of be taken out of the world, but I want them to be protected as they live in it. Protected from its, some of its kind of distorted values that are around. And protected ultimately from the evil one. Why? Because, because he says, I've got a mission for my people. I've got a mission and they're part of it. I'm on a mission to show the love, my love to the world and I want to help my people be part of that mission. I want to use them to care for the marginalised. I want to use them to show my love and speak of my goodness and what it means to follow me. I want to use them to pray for the sick and see the sick made well and to see glory come to me. I want to use them to bring others in to bring others into freedom. But listen, we need we live in a world where we need protection. And and I believe we I, I believe that the enemy has the evil one has uh, three particular strategies that we need to be aware of and that Jesus speaks into in this passage. Discouragement, division, and distraction. I think that would have made a good sermon, but maybe another time. Discouragement, division, and distraction. Listen, he's got strategies for you and me. Perhaps you're aware right now, and you're feeling those. But listen, Jesus prays that we'd be protected. It's a battle, isn't it? Christian life's a battle. And God's response isn't to take us out of the battle, but protect us in it. Listen, this should be one of the most strengthening prayers in the Bible, that he prays for our protection in the world. Because he says, I've, I've set them apart for mission. And he uses a particular word, saying that I've set them apart. He uses the word sanctify. Now it sounds a very kind of religious word, but it has this meaning of living differently, of being set apart for God's purpose. So while he's saying, look, I don't want them to be withdrawn from the world, he is saying, but I do want them to be sanctified. I do want them to live differently from the world. I want them to live as I've called them. See, how we live is not separate from the mission that he's given us. How we live out the life of Jesus is not separate from the mission that he's given us to tell the world of his love. Listen, and as you and I live differently in this world, we show a different beauty. We show a better beauty 
the beauty of a life lived with Jesus. As we live differently in relationships, as we live differently with how we spend our time or our money, how we live differently in how we talk to others, called to show the world a better beauty. Listen, perhaps you are facing tough stuff at the moment. In fact, scratch that. I, I, know, enough, I know enough stories in the church to know many of us are facing tough stuff at the moment. And it sometimes feels like we just want to pray, Jesus, just take me out of here can't cope. You know, God's response is to protect you. He says, no, no, I've set you apart. I've sent you into the world. And do you know what? Perhaps God has got you right where you are to show the world a better beauty. Okay, so he prays that God the Father would glorify the Son. He prays for our protection and our sanctification. And he prays for our unity. He prays for unity amongst his followers. That they may be one. See, perhaps you look at the church right now, the worldwide church, and you kind of go, man, they are not unified man, look at different denominations and look at different groups and look at fallouts and look at splits. I don't think Jesus was talking so much about organisational structures when he said this. As if, as if he's kind of more concerned with the unity of organisation and administration than other things. No, no, I think what he's trying to get at is what um, our good friend John Hosier, who has been up here many times to visit us, a good Bible teacher from Bournemouth, it's what he says. And he says, unity begins with an attitude of mind and heart. And that attitude flows from a perfect unity that exists between the Father and the Son. So the reason for unity isn't practical. It's not unity because we could get more done together. Actually, it's spiritual primarily because we're his body. Because the Father and the Son are in unity. We're his body and we're called to be united. Listen, your translation, as we read out, that they would come to complete unity might have said something different. It might have said that they're perfected in unity. And from what I understand, this is probably closer to what the original text is trying to say. Be perfected in unity. See, unity brings a maturity to us. It seeks to perfect us. Again, John Hosier puts it like this. Do you know when you've got some kids playing in a playground and they fall out and what do they say? What does one say? What do kids say when they fall out at the playground? I'm not your, yeah, well, yeah, I'm not your friend yet. Yeah, I'm taking my ball away. 
or I'm not playing with you anymore. That's what they say. And, and to be honest, we say, well, actually, it, it comes out of a bit of an immaturity in the children, doesn't it? Because they can't work through their disagreements. They can't see anything else. They just say, I'm not playing with you anymore. And John says, when the church says, I'm not playing with you anymore, or, or more closer to the point, he says, I'm not praying with you anymore, then perhaps this is a sign of, of immaturity. So we need to pursue unity because it can help us make, it can make us more mature in our faith. And I'm not saying we just compromise truth for the sake of unity. Actually, Jesus isn't saying that. He talks about truth quite a bit in this passage. He says, actually, I want my people to be sanctified, set apart in truth. But he is saying that unity is one of those things that will bring maturity and perfection to his people, to you and I. Do you pray for other churches in Teesside? Do you ask your friends who are part of other churches, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for your church? And then do it. Do you thank God for other churches that love Jesus on Teesside? Do you cheer when things go well for them? Do you grieve and pray when things aren't going so well? And this passage, Jesus isn't just talking about unity between different kind of groups of believers in different churches. Actually, he's talking about unity here for all the same reasons. And do you know what? Sometimes... That can be just as hard, can't it? When we live as community together and as church together and sometimes there's friction and sometimes there's falling out and sometimes there's difference of opinion but we're called to live in unity because Jesus has called that and he says, do you know what? That's going to perfect and mature you in your faith. So we must pursue unity because not only is it a reflection of the father and the son not only does it mature us and perfect us but also it's linked to how god wants to show love to the whole world look listen look look back into this passage verse 23 jesus says then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So as we live out unity here, and also with other churches that love and honour Jesus, he'll be made known more. It'll be a witness to the world. So, there we go. Jesus prayed. Prayed for himself. And he prayed for you and for me. But not only that, Jesus is praying for you and for me. Listen, this is what it says in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7. And and Jesus is likened in Hebrews 7 to the Old Testament priests who would pray on behalf of God's people. And this is from verse 24. Because Jesus lives forever 
He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Intercede, it kind of means he always lives to pray on behalf of, to speak up for. Jesus is interceding for you and for me. Always. That should give us such courage. That should give us such hope and confidence. Jesus is praying for you and me. Don't we need it? So this is a, um, a quote from um, the Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane, who famously said, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. And he's praying for you. Through the ups and downs of life, through your work, in your study, in your parenting, through your asylum case, he is praying for you. He's praying about the things that you do to serve others. He's praying for you in the temptations that you and I face as we seek to live differently in the world. He's praying. And not only that, as this passage finishes, we know he's not only just praying for us, he's with us. He's the God who's with us. His prayer finishes that he'll continue to make God known so that the love he has for us will be in us and he himself might be in us. So this is a wonderful, wonderful, encouraging passage. Jesus is praying for you and I. Do you know what? That can bring such release, such comfort. I believe it can also lead us to more prayer because I know Jesus is praying for me. I don't think this is... Uh, Jesus is praying for me, I can sit back. Actually, I think, as we read through these words, they stir us to pray even more. To pray with even more freedom and release. Because we know he's praying for us. So as we finish, I want us to respond. Can we just pray for a minute? Can we just, just come to Jesus together, the one who is praying for us, the one who intercedes for us. Listen, let's just come to him. He's brought us into this wonderful relationship, this eternal life, that means we know him, so we can come to him. Let's just come to him as we finish. Listen, where, where do you need to be reminded today that he is praying for you? He's praying for you. What's that situation where you feel, I feel, I feel so alone in this. 
I feel like this all depends on how I can work it out. And he's praying for you and he's with you. Where do you need to be reminded of that this morning? Where has he put you to show the world a better beauty? To show the world his glory? Where has he put you? Listen, he wants to strengthen you for that. It might be a situation, a place where you just think, man, it'd be easy if you took me out of this. You know, perhaps he's put you there to show his glory. And he'll protect you because he's set you apart. And perhaps even this morning, you're here and you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian. See, even in, even in the moment, even in his moment of death, Jesus was praying. Even as he hung on a cross, giving his life for you and I, he prayed, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It wasn't simply just a prayer for those hearing it right then. actually it speaks to us today speaks of the offer of forgiveness that he extends to you and I today and perhaps you've never received that offer of forgiveness and of new life He'd l- why don't you receive that today why don't you say I want to receive that forgiveness I want, to, I want to receive all you did on the cross was for me so that I could know you and that my sin, all my mess could be removed as we heard, as far as the east is from the west. Let's just stay in this moment as the band come up and just lead us in one final song. Let's keep our attention on Jesus. Let's not get distracted as they come. But listen, he wants to minister to you and I. He wants to protect us and send us out into the world. Come, Spirit of God, come and fill us afresh this morning for the great mission you've called us to. Thank you, you do. You do empower us and strengthen us. We're not left on our own. And you intercede for us in each situation we find ourselves in. And Lord, I pray as we go into this week, help us to know that in heaven there is a man fully God, fully man who's conquered the grave risen and intercedes and stands in our place thank you Jesus
Come on, let's worship him as we sing.